Good morning, church. It's so good to be back with you uh, here this morning. Uh, I've been out for a while. It's been on and off. Um, been at Sterling and been back, but I promise I'll be here for a while to come. Uh, I won't be going back there anytime soon. Um, I just, I've missed you guys. So if you have your Bibles with you, you please open them up to the book of John. John chapter 4 is uh, the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be looking at a chunk of scripture. Um, so John chapter 4 um, is a the passage that we're going to be looking at. Over the last few months, I say few months, several months, really this whole year, we've been journeying through the Sermon of the Mount. Um, and something that we've emphasized quite a lot, and we will do as we continue on with the Sermon of the Mount again next week, is we've been saying this phrase that a Christian is first and foremost a follower of Christ. You've heard me say that? Well, if you can't remember it, I, I'm going to keep on saying it is a Christian is first and foremost a follower of Jesus. And so the Sermon on the Mount in which we've been looking at and unpacking is really Jesus helping us understand what that Sermon on the Mount looks like, what a follower of, sorry, what the follower of Christ looks like. We saw in the Beatitudes, we saw the unpacking of the characteristics of a follower of Christ. Um, we, he goes on to say, this is what you will look like. The Spirit will do a, this kind of work in you. And these are the characteristics you're going to develop as we journey and follow Jesus. As a result of that, he says, man, you're going to be vastly different to the world. You're going to be salt and light. You're going to be different. The world is uh, decaying. It's, it's rotting away morally. And, and we are the salt that looks at the injustices of this world and we stop it. We fight against it. Man, we are the light of the world that shines the hope of Christ. So that those who are out in the darkness look at us and what do they see? They see light. They see the light of Jesus, the hope that it comes with knowing Christ, that there's refuge there, that there's peace there. There is where hope is found. It's in Jesus and Jesus alone. And really the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, and we will start this next week, is Christ shows us how to be great followers. Man, he says, you've heard this, you've heard this thing before, but I tell you this. And he changes our perspective a little. This is where your focus needs to be at. Again, he will teach us how to pray. He will teach us how to fast. He will teach us how to give to the needy well. He will really change our perspective of what a follower of Christ is like. I don't know about you, though, that over the last several months as we've been unpacking the Sermon of the Mounts, is that I have felt really challenged. I feel convicted. And, and if that's you this morning, I want to say, that's great. That's good. Because like myself, as, as I've unpacked the Sermon on the Mount, as I started to look at the characteristics of the Beatitudes, and I looked at poor in spirit, from, from day one, I've gone, man, I'm not nearly as poor in spirit as I need to be. I am, I'm not as dependent on Jesus as I need to be. There are areas in my life and where I'm dependent on Joey, not God. There are, when we came to mourning, I, I realized there were sins in my life in which I had not repented from. There were injustices of the world in which my heart had grown hard to. Meekness, meekness took me out. <laughs> meekness was the toughest one for me personally. The biggest challenge that I realized, man, I was very worried about Joey and his kingdom and his life rather than the kingdom of God and others. Man, being uh, hungry and thirst for righteousness. There were areas that I was hungry and thirsty for righteousness for, but there were areas that I wasn't. Many areas that I wasn't. Being merciful, I'm really good at being merciful when it suits me best. Um, otherwise, you know, I, I'm really bad at it. Poor in heart, 
man, is it even possible that a heart like mine that's so sinful can be pure? Being a, being a peacemaker, <laughs> easier said than done. Persecuted, well, no one wants to be persecuted, so I didn't want anything to do with that. And really just being challenged as a whole, this, this has really convicted me and challenged me. And, and if that has been you this morning, again, I want to say good. Because you're in good company, not because I'm the only one that's experienced it, but because uh, Matthew feels it so important that he writes it extensively down so that we might know it. It is so important the disciples have been challenged. Great saints who, who write commentaries on this, church fathers who have taught on this, as they've done it, their hearts have been convicted, they've burnt as they realize their need to become more holy and pursue Christ more. It's been massive. And so if your heart has been challenged this morning, again, I want to say good. Because this is it, and this is important. Church, we've got to realize that sin in our life is the primary thing that stops us from having an intimate relationship with Jesus. I want to say that again. Sin is a primary reason that stops us having an intimate relationship with Christ. And so being convicted of that sin is good because it is the holy God, this creator of the universe, that's coming along to you personally and going, this is an area we need to deal with so that I can know you more. Isn't that great? I mean, conviction isn't, isn't fun, but it's great to know that the holy God, this amazing or powerful God is going, I want to know you more and this is stopping us from knowing each other great. So let's deal with this. And so sin is there to be dealt with. And if you're not a Christian this morning, the primary thing that is stopping you from knowing Jesus altogether is sin. It is. But the greatness of the gospel is that Christ has come to die for our sins. So sin is stopping you from knowing God altogether, but here comes Christ and he dies for your sins so that if you repent from your sin, believe in him, that sin is removed so that now you might have an intimate relationship, get to know him, pursue him, follow him. But that doesn't just stop once we become Christians. Sin is still a thing that stops our intimacy with him. You see, the difference is sin hasn't broken our relationship off. Man, that's been dealt with with Christ on the cross. We, we are secure in Jesus. But what sin does is it hinders it. There's a difference. It hinders us from knowing Jesus well. And so I want to be bold this morning. And I'm going to say if you are experiencing a dry relationship with Jesus... Man, it feels weary, it's dry, it's boring, it not, feels non-existent. Your relationship with Christ is coming to church, singing a few songs, hearing a guy preach, hopefully half an hour, and then you head home. If that is the case, it is probably 95% of the time, there are one or two other circumstances, but 95% of the time, it's because of sin in our lives that needs to be dealt with. But my, the challenge that we have is this, is that, the, resp the response that we have is this, is that when we're convicted, what we need to do, this is the good response, is what we need to do is we need to feel conviction. Man, again, not great. Being convicted of sin is not fun. But what we need to do is we need to come to Christ. We need to come to him and say, Lord, here is the sin in my life. I, you've pointed this out. Here it is. Please, let's deal with this. Holy Spirit, come and do a work in me. Make me more like Jesus. Help me with this sin. It's a struggle. It's a thing that takes us time. But with the work of the Spirit in our lives and with His help, we will get through it over a period. Sanctification takes a while. 
And sometimes it's habitual sin that takes a while to break, but we continually come before the Father and we say, help me, set me free from this, let's deal with this. And it's a journey that takes place. But may I say that I fear that that is too uncommon. That the natural instinct of us is when we feel and receive sin is what we do, man, is we hide. Right? Look at the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they mess up. What do they do? They hide. Because why? They're ashamed of their nakedness. They realize their sin. This is not good. And so they hide away. And what happens to us mostly is when we are experienced with sin, we get convicted. Instead of running towards God, we run away from Him. And we hide. And what I want to say this morning, what we're going to discuss, is that I feel that shame and sin is the primary thing, this hiding from it, is the primary thing that stops us from having an intimate relationship with Jesus. It stops us from coming to know him. Because instead of running to him, we run away from him. And so I want to talk about that this morning. Because as we dive into this passage, man, we're going to see a woman who's got some serious shame. And we're going to see Jesus' intimate relationship with her. Let's read John 4. And we're going to read most of... uh, John 4, we're going to, um, it's quite a lot, but we're going to read, miss, read from verse 1 to verse 30. We're going to skip verse 31 to verse 38. Then we're going to read 39 to 42. We're going to read that. It's quite long, but don't worry. I know you're going to do fantastic, okay? You're going to do well. But let's, let's listen to the word of the Lord. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, so if it's a little different to yours, don't panic. It says this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. If you just want to take some note of that, he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychra, near the field that Jacob had given to his sons, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, or lunchtime, noon. It was noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Uh, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For, this, uh, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me uh, Ask for a drink from me, a a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us... uh, the well, and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus uh, said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. 
Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, so I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us, Jesus said to her. I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out of the town and were coming to him. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told uh, me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. So, man, this is a big chunk of scripture, and really we could do a series in this uh, passage itself. But the crux of this whole story is found in verses 26 and 42, that Jesus is the savior of the world. Everything that takes place in the story points to the fact that Jesus is the savior of the world. But there are two um, cultural oddities that we find in this passage. The first one is the one I told you to take note of in verse 4, where it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus, uh, there were two major routes in which you could get uh, from uh, Jerusalem to Galilee, the journey that Jesus was taking. The quickest route was uh, from uh, go straight through Samaria, which would get to the city of Sychra, which we find the story is based. Um, and this would be the quickest route to get there. But Jews never, ever, ever took this route because the Jews despised Samaritans. Even the Bible says in verse 4 there, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And so Jews would always take the second route, which was going around Samaria. They always went around because they wanted to avoid them as much as they could. But here we see Jesus is heading straight into a cultural awkwardness of the day. He's not even telling his disciples why. Can you imagine these 12 Jews just heading through, going, no explanations why. Why are we going straight when we should be going around? We don't do this. We Jews. We don't hang out with the Samaritans. We don't spend time with them. But Jesus just heads straight through into this cultural awkwardness. Why? Because he has appointments. Why? Because he is the savior of the world. And now let's talk about this woman. She's, she's at the well at the wrong time of the day, is she in? I mean, 12 o'clock. If you've ever been to the Middle East, 
if you have the privilege to do, go there or head off to Jerusalem. I haven't. I hope to one day go, but I believe it gets really, really hot. <laughs> and the, the culture of the common culture for women is that they get up early in the morning, they get all their jugs, all their buckets, everything they can gather water with, and they head off to the well together as a big tribe, as a herd, heading down to the well for the day. And as they go off there, they do what normal women do, chat about their husbands, chat about their children, catch up with the latest gossip. Um, it's pretty much the same thing that we do today, except it's at gym and we drink in smoothies and coffee um, <laughs> instead of going and getting water. And at the end of the time, as everyone's got their water, they head back home before the heat of the day and they just catch up, uh, they finish that and go and do their business in the coolness of their home. But here we find a woman that's avoided that. She's avoided this community event that takes place. She's come out in the heat of the day. Why has she done that? Well, Scripture tells us why. She has uh, had five husbands, and um, she, the current husband that she's with, the current man that she's with is not her husband. Now, for us, that sounds like a couple of episodes of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. But in her day, that could get you seriously killed. That was something hectic. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us why. Scripture doesn't what happened to these, these uh, other blokes. We don't, maybe all, all five of her past husbands have died, and the current guy is going, no ways. I see what happens when you get married. This is the, this is the result of that. Or there's a possibility that she's been very, very, very uh, promiscuous, and she's had affairs after affair after affair, and the current guy is around just because he wants to have a good time. But whatever the case might be, this is a serious mark of shame for this lady. To a point that she's used energy, she's used vitality, she's come up with the strategy that she can avoid the other woman. She, she's going to go in the heat of the day because she knows then she will miss out and avoid the other woman and just be able to go by herself to get the water, grab the water at the well, head home without anyone catching her. So she heads out in the middle of the day thinking that no one's going to be there except Jesus, the Savior of the world, is waiting for her. And man, he, he gets there and she arrives and they start to have a conversation. He asks for water. And this long conversation breaks out on, on how things are, how you could do it, what, what, what do you have, do you think you're better than Jacob, uh, um, et cetera, et cetera. And the whole thing takes place. And what happens is eventually Jesus says, man, if you knew who was asking you for water, you would ask him for water because the water that he gives is a life-giving water. You will never thirst again. And, and she says, man, give me this water. Can, can I have this water so I don't have to come here, so I don't have to be thirsty again? I want, do you hear what she's saying? She's saying, give me this water because I am weary. I'm weary of coming out here in the heat of the day. I'm weary of avoiding all the other women. I'm weary of having to change all my life because of the shame. If I can have this water and never thirst again, I don't have to do this anymore. So give me this water. And what does Jesus say to her? Go get your husband. Isn't that a bit cruel? I mean, go get your husband. I don't have one. No, you're right. You've had five and the one you're with isn't your husband. What's happening here? What's taking place here? Church, Jesus is going after the spots that only he can heal. Let me say that again. 
Jesus is going after the spot that only he can heal. Man, this this woman has been avoiding uh, all the other women. The Samaritan woman has come up with a plan uh, to avoid either a real judgment or perceived judgment of the other woman. And she has, if we're honest, have been quite wildly successful at it, hasn't she? She's figured out, if I go at the heat of the day, then I can avoid the skinnering. I can avoid the pointing. I can avoid the feeling of being outcast because of my past, because of my shame. I can avoid that. She's, she's figured out a strategy that works. But yet in her strategy that works, I want you to notice that the wound is still not healed. See that? Even though she's been hiding, she's got this plan to avoid it, her, heal, her wound has not been healed. The shame has not disappeared. In fact, it's enslaved her life. It controls every aspect of who she is. Her whole life, her energy has been tainted and changed and controlled because of the shame that she has. And one of the primary hurdles that we have is because of the sin and shame that we carry is that we are not getting to know Christ intimately because of it. It has affected every aspect of who we are. And yet, what do we do is instead of running to Christ, what do we do, as I said in the beginning, is we run away. We hide. Hoping that, man, avoiding these events, coming to church, avoiding these events, I will feel better. Because if I come to church, I'm reminded of the shame, so I avoid it. I avoid spending time in God's word. Why? Because I'm reminded again that of my shame. So I feel that if I ignore it, I don't spend time with Jesus. Man, over time and over a period, there will be a healing that takes place. And then when that's done, when I've forgotten about the guilt and shame is gone, then I'll come back. And we avoid Christ. But it never, ever gets healed other than outside of the touch of Christ. Other than Jesus coming along and healing it. And we need to come to him. And so here, what we see here is we see this woman. <laughs> she, she is, um, she's realized her, her sin. She, she's seen it and Christ starts to woo her out. He says, come, let's, let's talk about this because I want to heal it. Let's deal with the shame. And she starts to feel emotions, feelings. Man, you, you don't touch this amount of uh, trauma and stuff without there being snot and trauma. You don't. And while scripture doesn't necessarily say it here, you just, through experience, you chat to pastors, man, you start to deal with this kind of stuff. There start to be a lot of tears that start to take place. And these emotions start to bubble up. And what does she do? She runs to her mind. She says, Jesus says, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right. You've had five, and the one that you're with is not your husband. What you've said is true. And she goes, so I perceive you're a prophet. You said we should worship on this mountain. We say we should worship on this mountain. And, and so what's right? Man, this is what we do. When emotions and feelings start to take place in us, we don't like to be vulnerable, men particularly, right? We don't like to be vulnerable. And so when emotions start to take place inside of us, what do we do? We run up into our mind. This is an indictment on us. Oh, what is your view on predestination? 
And then we start to discuss these heavy topics because, man, let's get the feelings away. We don't want to deal with it. And here, here's what Jesus does. He, I love it. He just answers her. He's just so great. He just he entertains her for a bit. He goes, ah, it's neither this mountain or this mountain. It's neither of the two. Um, but a true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. And she goes, ah, doesn't really like that answer. It's not what she wanted. So she goes, ah, oh, one day the Messiah, the Christ, is going to come. And he will tell us. And he kind of looks down at that chessboard. And he, checkmate. I'm that guy. I'm the Messiah. <laughs> and as this happens, the disciples arrive back. And they are super awkward, right? They see Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman that's possibly crying. They just left to go get some food, and this is what they come back to. They don't even want to be here. And he has this conversation, and they want to ask what's going on, and they just don't. You see that? They just they feel like they want to ask a bunch of questions, but this is just way too weird, and so they leave it. And Jesus and this lady finish off their conversation. And what happens is this lady runs back into the city. I want you that we often just just look over that. She runs back into the city. She's been avoiding people, and here she is. She's emboldened. There's courage that's here. There's a sense of come and see the man. Come and look. What's her history, church? Men. What are the what is everyone thinking? Come see the man. Another bloke. <laughs> like another guy. Come see the man. Come see him. He's told me all that I ever did. And initially believe on her testimony. And after Jesus stays for two years, they start to believe. Oh, man, we believe that this is two years. Sorry, two days. That was a long time, two years. Two days. That this is the savior of the world. Now, church, when we, we can read this. And we can read it in two ways. We can read this. Personally, or we can read it impersonally. I think too often we read scripture impersonally. And I think it is the reason why so many of us find our Bible reading so boring. We, we wake up in the morning or whenever you do your quiet time, you get your Bible out, you open it up, you get your journal, nice journal with your John 3.16 pen and your Jeremiah 29.11 cup that's filled with coffee. You set it up nicely, it looks great. The younger folk, you probably get ready to take your phone out, take a photo of it and put it on social media because, you know, we want everyone to know how godly we are. So we, we take this photo, we have to get the nice lighting, we do all that kind of stuff. And we start to write down a whole bunch of facts, things that are good, biblical true facts. We saw Jesus changes culture. Oh, man, that's fantastic. And we, we write it down. True worshippers will worship in spirit and truth. Ooh, that's lacquer. Let's put that one down. We write it down. Jesus heals the brokenhearted. Oh, that's amazing. Jesus goes after those who are lost and outcasts. Oh, and we write those down. Biblical true facts in which we get from the story. Great. We close up our a journal and our Bible. We say our prayers and we head off and the next day we come back and we've forgotten all about it. But that's not, man, we've got to avoid that kind of reading. But the way we need to be making sure we read this as church is that we need to make sure that we read this personally. And the way we do this in this text, it might look different in other texts, but the way we do this in this text is that when we look at the story, what do we see? What do we need to do? We need to realize that we are the Samaritan at the well. 
man, that we've got some sin and shame. Man, like, can we just have some real talk here this morning? That we all are sinful, right? We are sinful. And we've got some sin and shame that needs to be dealt with. John will say, John, one John will say, if you say you've got no sin, you're lying. So can we just stop this morning and go, man, I'm this woman at the well who's got some sin and shame that needs to be dealt with. It needs to be there. And Jesus is saying to each and every single one of us, go get your husband. Megan, you can actually literally get your husband now. (laughs) But he's not talking about literally, right? He's saying, let's deal with the shame that we have. Let's deal with it. As Mark said this morning, Man, there's too many of us. He just feels that we're inside of this prison cell that's open and free in Christ. It's, it's free. We can live in the freedom. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. But too many of us are living in the cell are being controlled by the sin and the shame that we have. It's hindered our lives like this woman. It's changed us. And we need to come to Jesus and come and get it dealt with. Man, Jesus said to me when I was 14 years old, go get your husband. I had, um, I had been dealing with some serious sin in my life. I had done some stuff and for months and months on end, I had carried this heavy weight of shame. Huge. And because it, it, it's something that we do is we hide, I hadn't told anyone. There was no one who knew besides for me. And so I couldn't tell my friends. I, I just didn't have the guts to do anyone who was close to me. Man, my, my grandfather, you've heard me speak about him a lot, my spiritual figure. I, I just felt like I could never go to him and share it with him because I don't want to disappoint him. I feel that often we like that with God. We don't want to go and share with him because we're scared of how he's going to react and the disappointments. And one particular December holidays, I had uh, headed up, my cousins had invited me to the National Summer Camp out near Kimberley area. Um, and uh, we were heading off, I remember standing off in uh, the garage and my grandfather was there. And I was just burning with wanting to tell him before I left. But I just couldn't get the guts to say anything. Too ashamed. So we head off to the camp and this long bus trip up, I hate bus trips, you get all hot and sweaty and cold and it's like a range of feelings you go through on a bus trip. And we got there and it was fantastic. The, the club is run brilliantly, it was really, really good. Michael Mole, Dr. Michael Mole, you've seen him on TV, um, he, he was our guest speaker, lovely Christian guy. He was fantastic. And uh, one particular evening, he, ca- he came along and he, he said, he caught, had an, like an altar call. If you want to give your life to Jesus, you can you know, stand up and go outside. There are a bunch of counselors and youth pastors all scattered around and you can go speak to them and, and talk to them. And so there's a guy next to me named Timothy who, who jumps up. He's going to go give his life to Jesus. So I jump up as well. I'm already a Christian at this point. So my cousins look at me and they go, Joe, what are you doing? Like, where are you going? And remember, I'm hiding here. I don't want anyone to know. So I come up with a quick lie and go, I'm making sure that Timothy finds someone. I don't want them to know. So I'm making sure Timothy finds someone. They bought into that. It was fantastic. And so I got up and I, I walked outside. I don't even know where Timothy goes, to be honest. We both made it outside and I just split. I was just, I'm finding someone. I don't even know if Timothy found anyone to talk to. And I remember I arrived at this guy, massive guy, Big dreadlocks, it was fantastic. And uh, I just started to pour out my heart to him. Now, I, to be honest, I can't even remember what I said. But there was, like this lady, I'm sure, a lot of snot and throne, crying, 
just sharing my heart, just this release of all the stuff that I'd been burdened with, that I was hiding from. I don't even know what he says to me, but I know he prays. I don't even know if he knew what to say, but he just prays for me. And I remember leaving, feeling so light, so free, because this place that I had been hiding from Christ for months, he came along and said, let's deal with this. And he opened up my heart and he put his hand and I was healed because in the touch of Christ, we are healed. The shame is gone. And, and I just felt so free for the first time in, 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 in months and months and months. And I, we went home and we, we came back and December holidays finished and I went back to my youth group. I was at Gnubi Baptist. And uh, Dylan Olden, the youth pastor, said, anyone got any testimonies from the holiday, from summer camp? The other, our church themselves went to Jeffrey's Bay for their own special thing. But because my cousins invited me, I went to the other one. And they got up and they shared stuff, a whole bunch of stuff. I hadn't, I hadn't planned on sharing at all um, because it was about their summer camp. And right at the end, I felt so burdened. Like you, you know, I, I'm sure some of you have experienced before when the Lord says, go and say something, and you're just like, no. And so for the whole time, he's like, go and say something. And I'm like, no. And eventually, right at the end, Dylan, the youth pastor, goes, anyone else? No one else? And I just got up because I had to. Burning, I need to say something. And I went and I shared my testimony of something else that God had done in my life on camp. And it went brilliantly. People's lives were changed. There was a, a, there was a result of it. And it was a result of that I felt called to ministry. It's been ever since then I've been running back into town going, come see the man. Come see this Jesus. Come see him. And church, I want you to know that Christ wants to deal with the sin and shame that you're carrying. He wants to. And, and you know what the result of it is a life of purpose. It's an intimate relationship with he can start going, okay, let's, let's get to know each other more. And as you do that, he starts to, let's live this way. This is what I have planned for you. This is what I've got for you to do. But if you continue on holding on to the sin and shame that you've got, it's never going to happen. You're going to be stuck in that prison cell with the gate wide open for you to go out. But you're just going to think, man, I can never do it. I'm just not worthy. I'm not good enough for that. But we never have been good enough, church. It's the beauty of the gospel. And Christ has come along and he wants to put his hands into that chest of yours and heal that heart of yours. He wants to do it. Are you going to keep on running or not? From a guy that's run a lot, let me tell you that there's freedom that is found and waiting for you. So much joy. And, and you are Christians that struggle with this. Man, we struggle with this. We do. Let's deal with that. So this morning, we're going to pray now. But over the next couple of weeks as well, I want us to start doing this more often. There, there's a passage in James, right at the end of James 5, it says this. James 5 verse 13 says, If anyone, uh, anyone among you suffering, is anyone among you suffering? Question mark. Let him, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church and then pray for him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And, he, and, if, he is, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of the righteous person has great power is working. And that verse there is particularly the healing that's being spoken about. There's particularly physical healing, but I don't want to just box it in on that. I really feel strongly that this verse can also be used for emotional, shame-filled healing. But if we come and confess our sins to one another, man, you can be set free from that. And so we're going to be going through in the Sermon of the Mount, as I said, we're going to be dealing with some stuff. We, deal, we start with anger next week. After that, we go into lust, then divorce, then oaths and retaliation. Man, there's some serious stuff we're going to be dealing with. But let's not just be hearers of the word, let's be doers of it. Let's not only hear Christ say, I want to heal you and that make you feel good. Let's let him come and heal it. So today we're going we're gonna to close off in prayer. And we're going to have coffee outside and I want to chat to you guys and I can't wait to do that. But we're going to hang out here in the front here for those of us who want prayer. And there's going to be a time where we just get to enjoy praying for each other because that's what we're called to do. And we're going to do that each week. We're just going to, let's deal with this. Let's pray for each other. Let's, let's create a culture of us praying. I'll come back to you now. Okay. Let's create a culture of us praying. All right. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful that we are able to just spend time with one another, to come and just be real. Let's do life and just be honest. And, and, and Lord, we are grateful that we have a God that has come and gone, man, I want to heal those places that we are hurting yet you are struggling with. We are so thankful, Lord, that you're a God who is able to take away our shame because we see that on the cross. And so, Lord, I pray this morning for those that are struggling with sin and shame, that they've been hiding, you've not dealing with things, that you would come through and there would be breakthrough. I pray that for myself as well. Lord, here, that you would come and deal with the sin and shame in our lives. That you would come and heal us up. Might we not be ashamed to hide. May we, we run to Christ instead of away from him. May you help us with this, Lord. Help us to be vulnerable to come and just share our emotions, to share the shame that we're going through. We pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.